Good. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zack. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 403 of the Stupid Cancer Show. We are the voice of young adult cancer. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. I'm your co-producer, Mallory Rivera. I'd like to welcome all of our first-time and returning listeners. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each year in the United States. Sucks, huh? We change the world one chemo infusion at a time. And on this episode, what do I tell my kids? Mommy has cancer. Daddy has cancer. How do you talk to your kids? Sharing information about what's going on with your health on an age-appropriate level with your young children is really important and can be overwhelmingly challenging. Jackie Woods, a licensed social worker, joins us to discuss how to start conversations and answer questions about your cancer with the children in your life. And it's the Barbara Spotlight on young adult triple negative breast cancer survivor Rachel Park and surprise drop-in guest, young adult Hodgkin's lymphoma, 20-year survivor Shanna Black. All right, here we are. <laughs> Episode 402. We're here. Hello, Mal. Hello. Hello, Laurel. Hello. We are Noelless and Seanless, which is okay. They get reprieves every now and then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Girls ruled. I was. I yes. couldn't help but overhear that you had one of the, one of one of those days was today. Today has been um, a manic Monday. That's that, <laughs> that is the that's just how I'm going to description. I. When you walk in, when you have to walk into the office and remove a shelf from the fridge to put the turkey you picked up in. Wait a minute. There is a turkey in the fridge. Oh, I I, I didn't notice that. <laughs> that is correct. There you you heard that, and it correctly. just keeps rolling along. <laughs> I just see that those infomercials about when your turkey is too big and like the they have a product that like expands to fit your turkey in the oven. Yeah. Okay. It's like what? an inflatable turkey roaster. Maybe it was in the eighties. <laughs> I, but it showed this woman like okay. legit, like holding this giant. You know, infomercials always start with like someone like screwing something up. That's so oh obvious. yeah, messing up the right. most. Yeah, yeah, obvious thing. So she's trying to like lift the turkey out of the sink, and it slips and falls. And anyway, it that is, will not be happening no, with no, my no. my turkey. <laughs> turkey now I want to look this up. <laughs> it's got to be on like one of those retro I'm TV YouTube curious. channels. Really amazing. <laughs> well, uh, I am back. I was away last week in Vienna. What a city, what an experience, what an amazing time. And those chocolates uh, you brought back, let's talk about those chocolates. They those are, are legit. Uh, they those. really are legit. Wow. And then anything that has Mozart's face on it, and, and then I get to eat it, I just, Everything had Nancy Mozart's chocolates. face on it. It was like the ultimate tourist trap. They would uh, slap Mozart's face on anything. I would and, eat that yeah. up with the spoon. Yeah, That just good. seems like the greatest. It was, it was really, really good. Really amazing stuff. I was there. I think I mentioned this last uh, episode. I was there to give a concert and speak to an audience of 700 biotech executives and clinical trials, uh, C-suite level folks who are trying to make life suck less for people with cancer around the world. 
Nice. That's pretty exciting. And I had an hour on stage, a little Q&A afterwards, and I got maybe maybe 75 business cards and a, like 100 LinkedIn requests. Nice. So it's it's exciting. We're, we're in a good place now. We're not just talking about young adult cancer. We're just talking about access, access issues, the broken system. We can fix a broken system. We can help everybody, but especially young adults. So that was good. Anything else going on? We got Giving Tuesday coming up. Oh, that we yes, don't like to take the shows, but we people that do listen to the show, Giving Tuesday <laughs> happening yes. soon. Yes, <laughs> we do. We have Giving Tuesday coming up, which we're really excited about. I'm excited to kind of share community member stories on that specific day. Um, Sean and I have a whole lineup of people, and we're we're talking about what they were or who they were before meeting stupid cancer and who they are now. And I'm really excited to kind of go through and, and share those stories and and be a part of that. And that's why Sean is not here right now. Because he's busy. <laughs> he's busy Tuesdaying. It's Free that Tuesday. time of year. Yeah. And there was a really cool post on the uh, on the wall on Twitter today. A nurse. It's like that conversation of the getting to the other side of the fence. The care, right. the care, caregiver, caretaker, professional becomes the patient. Right. And I I saw it on a lot of our community members pages last week and and a few days before that and and everybody's comments was like oh my gosh yes this just this and so I'm like okay what the heck is this so I went in I opened it up and I was reading through it and I just thought it's so powerful because she just this nurse just describes all of these things that she thought she knew being a caregiver and being a healthcare professional in oncology, all of these things that she just thought that she fully understood because that was her life every day. She was helping cancer patients, but then uh, being on the other side, being married and having kids and then now having um, cancer, how she didn't get it. And that's just what's described the whole way through. It's written in these stanzas, these blocks where she was saying, I thought I understood this. I'm sorry. I didn't get it. And then she goes into the next one. And there are about a dozen or more of them. And it just gives you the shiver bumps. And everybody, and I think that the reaction on our page when we shared it today, just a few hours ago on Stupid Cancer's Facebook wall, so many people, again, just like the community members last week, so many people going through and sharing their stories. And then we got so many great replies back to the comments and just these really engaging conversations that are happening on that, talking about like, we're sorry that you had to get it to get it. <laughs> yeah. But yes, thank you for sharing this because this is exactly how it feels. You know, somebody, the people who think they understand, but that you can't actually understand until you are on the other side of hearing you have cancer. So Shannon Black <coughs> uh, dropping in as a, a guest. She came to the OMG East Conference in New York yes. this past uh, September. She came to the Toast fundraiser I did. at Times Square in October, uh, Kool-Aid drinking member of the Stupid Cancer Community and yeah. celebrating 20 years, 21 yeah, years? 21. It's amazing. 21, yeah. Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's lymphoma. At 21 years old, 20 years old? No, I was uh, 19 when I was diagnosed originally, okay. and then it took a year uh, to go through treatment. Um, so I think the math is right. I always forget. <laughs> it's it's easy to forget when you get out this far. Yes. Um, but like you and I were talking about earlier, now you're in a whole other ball game. So I feel like not only have I been enfolded back into this world because of my cancer, dealing with long-term side effects, um, I have this experience that I can bring to this uh, community now too, which is really exciting. And that, that speaks to something interesting, like you're out. What drew you back? Why would you want to come back into this club that yeah. you've been distanced from, well, wellfully so, for so many years? And yeah. what brought you back to stupid cancer? Uh, that's... A great question. Actually, a couple of years ago, I went to Mexico, uh, got what everybody knows you can get in Mexico, that fun traveler's illness. And it snowballed into a um, a three-month uh, drama of infection and all kinds of things that were happening with my immune system that had never happened before. Wow. And that's when I got actually introduced to Dr. Effinger at Memorial Sloan. Oh, yes. And um, it was a bit of a wake-up call because I've struggled over the last 20 years with my relationship with cancer. Do I want to be known as a cancer survivor? Do I not want to be known as a cancer survivor? And, um, yeah, my experience last year was like, you can't deny that you're a cancer <laughs> survivor anymore. Um, that was a part of it. Uh, 
I've also been, like I, I said to you in an email, looking for what it is I was supposed to do when I grow up. And the thing that keeps resonating, resonating for me and the thing that keeps coming into my life, even without me asking, is, uh, is, is cancer. People in my office who have um, brothers and sisters who are getting it and want to talk to me about it, family members who are dealing with it now because they're older, and um, I've become a resource to people. And when I engage that way, it really it sounds weird, but it energizes me to, to know that validating. I can give back. It's yes. validating, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much so. And that, you know, for, for Laurel's sake, that is the the uh, the brand promise, which is the community you didn't know you needed. Yes. Permission to be pissed and a channel to give back. Yes. Yes. All those things. Yes. yes. That's it. It <laughs> yes, works every yes, time. Yes. Works every time. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for rejoining. And you went to First Descents. I did. Which that one was... did you do? Um, I went to the Outer Banks in June of 2014 uh, with the Farm Dog team and, and learned to surf. Wow. Yeah. That's it transformative. Really, it was. <laughs> that in of itself was. It, it really was. But you know what? That thing that's transformative, and it, it has, it, it's there, but it's also here, um, especially after having gone to the OMG conference, is um, when cancer survivors get together, they just drop into their truth. Like yeah. we, we don't spend any time going, so where did you go to school? Or not, we're not looking for that point of reference where, you know, where do you work? There's or, no small talk. No, there never <laughs> is. I mean, as soon as a bunch of us got in our van with our camp mom, because you have camp moms and dads that pick you up and take you to the actual site. Um, yeah, it's like someone turns around in the car and goes, so what did you have? And not in a, not in a competitive way <laughs> by any means, but just like, okay, so that's our point of reference. Um, and the storytelling around that and validating each other because we know what it's about was extraordinarily uh, transformative. And when I witnessed that at the OMG conference as well, I was like, okay, this is, this is, these are the kids I want to play with, mm-hmm. so to speak. Well, we have a wonderful spotlight uh, segment coming up now, um, which we'll introduce Rachel in a moment, but she's another one that's chosen to literally wear it on her sleeve. Right. So let's get Rachel. In our spotlight, Rachel Park, a tie designer, triple negative breast cancer survivor, awareness advocate for young women with breast cancer, and the founder of Rachel Park Designs and Survivor Moda. Forced to be reckoned with, going to be a great conversation. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Rachel Park. Rachel. (laughs) Hello. Hi. So uh, I was just on the phone today with with a friend I met through God knows where, but (laughs) <laughs> we we were really focused on young women with breast cancer. It was like a very uh, uh, powerful, heated conversation about the passions that are driven in breast cancer and how right. young women with breast cancer are still this like ostracized community out there with yeah. where hereditary <laughs> cancer makes a bigger difference. Hereditary mm-hmm. risk is a big issue. And, you know, everyone knows BRCA and Angelina and triple negative, but does it really matter when October turns pink and you vomit because of nonsense <laughs> and Sears. Right. And you, right. you've really challenged that establishment understanding of what it means. And I really commend you. You, you. You've done so much with your story. And I'd love you to take us back just to the beginning. Sure. Um, diagnosis time? Yes. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a doozy of a year. Um, just to give you a sense of the timeline, um, I was not quite 40. I was 39. Um, I had a really demanding job, and I actually went to Korea in the spring and um, unexpectedly met. So, by the way, I'm an adoptee, so that's that'll, that's another uh, fun challenge to my breast cancer story. Um, and I went to Korea to visit a friend. I hadn't been there in years, and very unexpectedly, we were able to find my birth father. Um, so I met him uh, completely unexpectedly, and that happened, and then I went right back to work. I came back and went to work. It was extremely demanding. I took zero break. Um, about a few months later, they unexpectedly let me go. Um, a few months after that, I turned 40. Uh, one month late, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. I'm unemployed. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And then um, about a month later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that was an awesome year. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I know how to respond to that, but I don't quite know how to respond to that. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, so this is the story. You're not 80. <laughs> you yeah. have your whole life ahead of you, and you get breast cancer. Uh, were yeah. you made aware of resources and support? I mean, you've created such a sustainable environment for yourself to help others. Was was there a vacuum of community for you? 
Um, it took a while to find them. It was tough because I remember going into support groups in my chemo. Nobody looked like me. Everybody had gray hair. Um, in my support groups, everyone was older. Sweet women, um, really helpful. But, you know, I do feel we deal with a different set of issues when we're younger. Um, and then I would go to the young adult group and nobody in there had breast cancer. So I would always joke I felt like I was in this kind of weird cancer crack. So um, I did ultimately keep going to the younger ones because I felt a little close, closer related to that group. Um, so, and then I would kind of go back and forth between the two. Like I would go to the, the breast cancer group for breast cancer specific issues that would come along. And then I would kind of just vacillate between the two. I also had other support um, things. I did everything I could. I had a social worker. I had a mentor angel through Immigrants Angels, which was extremely helpful um, because the support groups are, you know, once a week maybe. Um, I had one-on-one -on -one support. Um, I mean, I took everything I could get. Man. So um, whatever gets you through it. And I, yeah, I took whatever support I could really. So what was your actual treatment? What, what does one get for stage 2B triple negative breast cancer? So it was pretty, um, it was a pretty sizable tumor by the time everything got discovered and um, my game plan went into action. And the irony is I remember meeting my oncologist on the very first day of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I always have this weird love-hate with October because <laughs> yes. um, you can't escape it. And everywhere I looked, there are ribbons. And I just was like, I would just love to not be so aware I have breast cancer. Right. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that was really ironic to meet her on that first day. And I was in chemo. Like She's like, I want you in chemo in like a week. Um, so she had me in chemo. I had 15 rounds of chemo. I had three surgeries and 32 radiations. And I just passed the year for my final surgery, which is my final everything. So I just finally hit my year out for my final treatment phase. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right on. Everyone gets that kind of applause and that kind of news. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, we should. Yeah. So uh, as a fashion designer, you, you, mm -hmm. I'm reading on your, your bio, you, you design ties, but working in fashion is its own kind of crazy universe. Uh, yeah. They say uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and you were able to take that skill and create a product based on something terrible that nobody really takes notice of. Yeah. Um, I was, I think it, I was in radiation, um, just to back up, I actually was fortunate to have an aunt who taught me how to sew when I was younger. So I sewed, um, I've been sewing since I was a kid and she really took me under her wing and showed me how to sew. Um, while I was going through surgery, she sent me this amazing care package with, um, products that she'd helped, that helped me get through surgery. And, um, one of them was a, a pillow to help with the seatbelt and just comfort your chest. Cause you're so irritated with whether you have a port or, um, uh, just after surgery, it's so helpful. And um, I had really, you know, used it quite a bit. And I had a friend who was also a survivor about to have her own surgery. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to make her one. And I kind of updated it and, you know, put my own spin on it and gave it to my friend before her surgery. And she was even like, I didn't even realize I needed this. And I said, no, but you're going to be really glad you have it. <laughs> so take it with you to the hospital. And she did. And um, she was, you know, just seeing her reaction, which originally was just meant to be a gift. Um, and then I started, you know, giving them out more and then starting getting more feedback from survivors. And I said, you know what, I think I could really, it just helped me also to feel like I was doing something because I wasn't able to work during treatment. I was really just focused on healing and getting through it. It was over a year of not feeling, you know, like being focused on anything else except that. So it gave me an excuse to sew again. It gave me some creative outlet. Um, everything I looked at had ribbons all over it. I hated that. I didn't want that. Um, so there's always like a touch of pink I have in it, which is to honor the breast cancer survivors, but I purposely don't like the ribbons all over everything. So and that's one of the biggest um, feedback points I get about my product. So um, yeah, and now I've created the seatbelt pillow and um it's now available on amazon etsy and and my own website yeah and it's called the park puff if i'm correct mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah and like you you solve the problem and most people don't know that there is a problem until someone solves yeah. it yeah um yeah so so i mean i guess for those listening explain to us why this is necessary and what were the challenges were that women face with seatbelts yeah um I, I honestly used it all throughout my treatment, but I started it during radiation. Your chest is so 
sore. It's almost like a sunburn. And um, the seatbelt, you know, it's so sensitive. And so the seatbelt rubbing against it is really painful. Um, a lot of times, you know, treatment centers or doctors will tell you, take a pillow with you in the car. Um, and so you, you just are supposed to kind of put that between your chest and the seatbelt. And I found, you know, that was great. Sort of the pillow kind of moved and <laughs> didn't always stay in place and things like that. And um, yeah, this was just like, you know, I, I felt like I could, you know, put my own spin on this. I could help survivors and doing this. And so, um, yeah, I just sort of did a nice spin on what the gift, that, the wonderful gift that my aunt provided me and, you know, made sure it was okay with her to <laughs> update it so we don't end up, you know, in trouble later. Right, of <laughs> and, course. Uh, once I had her blessings, you know, she's like, go with it. I'd love to see what you do with it. And yeah, now it's just a, a really amazing um, sort of, offshoot business that I didn't really anticipate um, because I was doing my ties before anything. Obviously, everything went on pause during treatment. Sure. Um, but yeah, and then it just, uh, I was, I make all those myself. So it's an extremely meaningful product. It's just become this, what started as kind of the side project, you know, um, kind of as a gift is really just grown into this amazingly meaningful product now that I, you know, I'm so happy to make. And I hate that I even have to make them. I hate there's so many survivors that need this. But on the other hand, I'm so happy that I can provide a little comfort during this time to them. I love that you call yourself a cancerpreneur. It yeah. uh, seems very, <laughs> very, word. I seems love very, that. that's our hashtag for the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. Do you hear from the women who purchase or I, the men who purchase the product for their, for the woman in their life who, who benefit from this? Yeah, it's interesting because um, since it's mostly online and I ship worldwide, you know, I've had some people in England buy them because you can really put it on either side of the car, which I hadn't even thought about. But um, so I've gotten some orders from there, which is great. And I, but since you, you know, I'm shipping them, I don't always get to see the immediate reaction. And you kind of do, you know, sort of forget the original intent, I think, once you're just sort of making sure you're you're filling the orders and things like that. Um, I did give one. I met a survivor recently who, in person, who had mentioned that the seatbelt had always bothered her and she never, she still doesn't wear it quite like she should um, because of the irritation. And so the next day I saw her and I said, okay, I have a little gift for you. <laughs> and I just sort of left it for her and um, didn't get to see her. She came up to me a few minutes later and she was almost crying. And it, I, you know, and then of course I started crying, but <laughs> um, it just reminded me like, oh yeah, like this is, you know, she was so touched and she, it was such a helpful product for her. And it just reminded me like, you know, why I originally started it and what I could provide. I mean, there's so little you feel you can do during this time, but it's just nice to know you can help a survivor in some way during this time, just feel a little bit better, make them feel maybe a little less alone, a little more comfortable during treatment. Well, we, we very, in a very vernacular way, we say we try to make cancer suck less. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, exactly. That's our business. We're Absolutely. in the making yes. business. Um, I uh, at the top of the interview, you mentioned that you're an adoptee, and then you had a genetic cancer. That's yeah. got to be a, a ball of wax. Yeah, it was kind of a double whammy. <laughs> um, I remember the the week I had shaved my head. Uh, it was a Monday. I finally just couldn't take it anymore. It was falling. You know, all that fun and. I remember just asking my boyfriend, I'm like, just do it, just shave it. Um, so it was, I remember that was a Monday. And then I found out that Friday that I was actually BRCA positive. So wow. that was a tough week. Um, and then just what do you do with that information? And also not having my genetic history was a whole other, um, you, you know, added challenge to going through treatment as um, an adoptee, as a cancer survivor, I mean, what's the very first thing every doctor asks you is, what's your medical history? And I don't have those answers. <laughs> so um, it was a bit of a shock, but yeah. Yeah, the, that's got to be intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So So I, I love that your your products, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, we're on your, your, your website, uh, rachelpark.com. Uh, you, you these ties are are incredible and and they're bespoke. So you, mm -hmm. I didn't. I mean, I'm a guy. I don't know what these things mean because I'm a guy, <laughs> and I'm not a hippie. I don't tr tr travel in the Williamsburg crowd, or whatever. 
I'm just this like Jewish guy from Brooklyn. No, but bespoke. You 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 made to suit, and yeah. and that's really impressive. And and what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm I'm really short. I'm under five foot. Um, I always knew that clothes were not one size fits all. I actually think ties contrary to popular belief are not one size fits all. Um, That's so true. You see that all over the town in yep. New York. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, a regular tie is very long on me. So I always have to have mine custom cut. Um, and yeah, I found that I just really wasn't an off the rack tie um, designer. And I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, that's really one of my um, benefits. And I think one of the uniquities of my business, uh, it is bespoke, it's made to order, it's, they're all handmade in New York. Um, there's a, it's, I like to call it slow fashion, it's a long production time, it's handmade. Um, they're beautiful and wonderful quality. And yeah, I'm just really proud to make them. I just noticed that you have a Star Wars branded park puff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I do. <laughs> I do. I just gave one to our friend Mars for um, their ride home from the hospital with the new baby. So yeah. oh, 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 Mars and Lisa, our friends. And yeah. Lisa. Oh, that's awesome. We love them. Yeah. They're they're good friends of the show. Uh, incredible supporters of Super Cancer. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I'm I'm really inspired by this. It's always someone who chooses to give back. And we were joking, people who wear it on their sleeve. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Shannon and I go back uh, 20 years with our cancers each respectively, mm -hmm. and we're choosing at this point to wear it on our sleeves. But when you're fresh out of the gate with where your one-year anniversary yeah. and you're yeah. really in the trenches, that's incredibly commendable and inspiring. Oh, thank you. Appreciate right. that. Rachel <laughs> Park, Thai designer, triple negative breast cancer survivor, awareness advocate at rachelpark.com, uh, and survivor moda. Com, maker of the Park Puff Star Wars edition now available. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care, Rachel. Thank you. For okay. Bye bye. <laughs> All right, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Stupid Cancer does a whole lot of awesome things, and here's what's happening right now. Join us for a different kind of social mixer. No pressure, no judgments, no stigma. Best of all, no sitting around in a circle sharing your feelings. Find a meetup in your area at events.stupidcancer.org or host your own. Just go to stupidcancer.org slash meetup. We have meetups happening in San Antonio, Texas, Houston, Texas, and San Diego, California. Very nice. Very nice. We want to see how you get busy living. So follow Stupid Cancer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please don't forget to tag us at Stupid Cancer. Join the movement. Show how you get busy living in your Stupid Cancer gear. Shop at stupidcancerstore.org. We've been doing the show here for 10 years and want to hear more from you, our listeners. So tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about. Fill out our survey at stupidcancer.org slash podcast survey and get 15% off the Stupid Cancer Store. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Jackie Woods, a social worker who has experience working with young adult cancer survivors in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She will be speaking with us right now about how to talk with your kids about your cancer diagnosis. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Jackie Woods. Jackie. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. This is such an, uh, I would say, an undiscovered and under understated conversation that is so unique to why what makes young adult cancer different when you're diagnosed and you have young children. Yes, I agree. It's definitely not something that most cancer patients really have to talk about. No, that is absolutely, you know, I get asked all the time, even 10 years later, well, why do you focus just on young adults? And like I always say, well, it's not like it's better or worse than kids and old people, but it's different. Oh, really? How's it different? Well, our, our, our gonads work and we have, <laughs> we have, we have, we have little babies sometimes. And what do you do with that? I'm not worried about my retirement house in Florida right. on Medicaid when I have <clears throat> prostate cancer. Oh, I get it now. But well, your right. career just started. Yes. And yeah, yeah, now it's been sidetracked before it even began. Exactly, exactly. So so Jackie, what got you into this line of work? You are you're an MSW. Yes. 
So um, as an intern in grad school, um, I heard uh, about a nonprofit in Baton Rouge, um, my area, that was just an amazing place to intern. And uh, I really didn't have any experience with cancer before, but I thought I'd check it out. And so I spent uh, two semesters there and loved it. We um, did support groups and um, it was not connected to any hospital. So we saw just people from all over the the area. And um, so then a couple of years later, they were hiring and they um, hired me on. And it has been just an awesome experience because, you know, my first jobs out of grad school were in a prison and then in addiction. So this is just wonderful to meet with people who really want to talk to me. Well, I commend you on that choice. And again, young adult cancer isn't really sexy. It's not bald kids. <laughs> you know, it's not the mainstream. But we need more professionals on our behalf, for sure. you know, talking about this and bringing this to light. So thank you for what you're choosing to do. Right. You're welcome. Yeah. I, my job has been to work with just all adults with cancer. But when, you know, we see so many young adults come in, um, I really became passionate about that because I'm a young adult. Well, again, that also speaks to something I talk about all the time. I do a lot of grand rounds and I meet a lot of residents, interns and fellows who are in their 20s and 30s. So they are much more empathetic to the young adult cancer narrative because they are in the age group of the generation that I'm speaking on behalf of. Mm -hmm. Do you find that to be consistent on your side too? I think so. I think most um, places and people that work with the young adults um, tend to be in that age group. I know um, it just helps them relate. And um, same thing with the older people. They don't want me going in and doing their groups because they look at me like I don't understand because I don't. Um, and so, you know, I've done all kinds of cancer support groups, but working with the young people, we just connect on a different level. So let's talk about that specifically. So you're 28, you have a two-year-old kid, and obviously mm -hmm. we're talking about how to talk to your kids. Your kids could be, my kids are six. I would talk to them very differently if they're two. I just want to know who's going to watch them when I'm getting, right. when they're going to care. So what is there a common thread amongst parents who have children perhaps who are of salient age to appreciate this, maybe like six to 12 or six to 14? Yeah, I mean, there is a common thread throughout, you know, basically – you need to, for any age kid, you need to tell them that you have cancer. I mean, as much as you want to try to protect them from um, everything scary and difficult, it's important to, you know, just talk about it, be open and honest, because they're going to have questions, they're going to know something's wrong. So, um, you know, a lot of the things, you know, detail uh, changes, you know, the amount that you tell them, but the basics are all the same. So in terms of little kids, there are lots of books out there you know, how to talk to your kids with cancer. Do those matter? Or is it really like at the end of one level where you just don't know what to do and you, you, you don't know these books exist? I think, um, no, the, I mean, most of the books probably say the same thing. Um, and so they're useful if that's something that you want to do. But basically, um, you know, just talk to the kids, be open, just like you would do about any kind of important conversation, you know, answer their questions. Don't let them be scared, reassure them. So yeah, there are some basics that you can do without having to read a book, but I definitely, if, um, for people who want to be super prepared, you know, would recommend checking out a book and read it with your kids. So, um, yeah, there's YouTube we have found is, um, helpful especially with this generation. You know, I've done some um, camps for kids who have uh, parents with cancer. And we put on, you know, Charlie Brown on YouTube, and he's got a friend going through cancer. And uh, they have all kinds of things out there. So you're 26, you have a kid, and there's a lot of books out there. And, you know, these. the last thing on your mind is – you know, what's going to happen to me, your natural instinct is what's going to happen to my kid. And yet you're the one that's sick. Can you tell us some of the share with us some of the, the stories you have of talking to the young adults with children that you meet at your clinic? Yeah, so I've talked to several, um, usually it's the moms, um, but sometimes dads who um, are, just, they ask, they come to us asking, how do, how do I tell my kids or should I, or what do I do? And 
Um, the books are helpful, definitely, but we can give some pretty, um, pretty simple advice, you know, um, keep the same uh, rules and routine, you know, when you're going through all this stuff. Um, try not to change up their lives too much. And um, when you're having the conversation with them, be consistent. Uh, you may have to tell them more than once. Uh, use the word cancer. That's really important, um, not to kind of sugarcoat it or dance around it. I know, um, especially with things like lymphoma, just saying I love lymphoma or <laughs> I have lymphoma, um, that doesn't mean anything to them because they don't know that that's cancer. Um, so using the word cancer, although it may be scary to you, um, they need to know it because they're going to hear other people talk about it, um, whether you want them to hear it or not, they will. And they know something's wrong. So let them know um, what kind of treatment you're doing and let them be in on not necessarily the decision making, but let them know, you know, I've thought about this and this is what the doctor says and this is what I'm doing. Um, and it's really important that they know the terminology. So things like chemo, radiation, recurrence, um, you know, and they, they may think they know what something means, but you might want to check to be sure because they could be totally off. I actually recently read something where um, someone said that, to their kid that they were having tissue removed and the kid thought they had Kleenex in their body. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, you really have to be uh, clear on, on what you're saying to them and how they're understanding it because they might not ask the questions. Right, and again, it, it it can go back to how old is your child? What is their right. developmental stage? What are they going to comprehend? And mommy has a boo-boo, may not cut it. Right. Yeah, and so that's important for them to know, like, you know, you say you're sick and then you lose your hair. Well, if I get a cold, am I going to lose my hair? Um, you know, could I die if I get sick or if dad gets sick too? So, um, you know, de depending on the developmental stage, they have a lot of different questions, but mostly um, some of the more common worries that they have, um, the basics are who's going to take care of me. So, um, you know, kids are selfish. They are just made that way. And so they're thinking about themselves and they want to know that they're going to be okay. And so what I usually tell um, clients is you can't make promises. Don't make any promises that you can't keep. But let them know that no matter what, that they will be taken care of, um, which is really important. And so if you have a plan, give them the plan. You know, after school, since mom's going to be sick um, and not feeling good because of treatment, um, your dad's going to pick you up and bring you home. Or grandma's going to bring you to gym gymnastics or, you know, whatever that plan is so that they can be prepared. And that also goes back to the situations where there may not be a spouse or a partner or a grandmother out there. We've heard stories on the show in, in disparate communities and, and urban communities where there is no parent even. Uh, I'm sorry, there, there's no other parent, there's right. no other caregiver, or it is the grandmother who's old and infirm and that's all you have. So just reinforcing yeah. how much di how difficult and different it is to be in this age group. And you mentioned in your, your talking point, your notes here, like the, the unthinkable. Mommy's dying. What right. does that mean to my son or my, my daughter? And and let's right. say they have siblings and how do siblings communicate with this? And then I I've also heard stories my friend my friend had, had cancer and his kid was in high school and the kid got shit because mommy was born. Mm. Like that's horrible, but that happens and you know, what do you do wow. there? Yeah. Yeah, so um that's a lot of different things. I know. Yeah, yeah, so. sorry. I'm dumping everything <laughs> on you. Jackie, do you have those kinds of scenarios? Like, I'm very curious when um, the people come into your clinic, is this something that you start the conversation around or do they? Because I know even from my own experience, my family, I was 19 and my family just didn't talk about it. You know, and I was the mm -hmm. one who was sick, mind you. It was different, but my family wouldn't talk about it. And it would, I'm just curious if there's people that come to you that, that are asking for help to talk or if you engage that conversation first. And yet, how do you deal with all these other variables? Right. Um, I think it's both. Um, usually when it's a younger um, person or couple that comes in, um, we'll 
you know, one of the first things we ask is about kids and, um, and go over some of the counseling programs and camps and the different things that are available. Um, usually we'll try to remember to ask, um, about, you know, do they know how much do they know? How are they doing? Um, and, you know, counseling is important for kids if, um, can see that they're having struggles. So things like mood swings, uh, drop in grades, um, you know, fights, disruptions, um, even for younger kids, things like bedwetting, thumb sucking, you know, if they are regressing in those ways, then that's definitely, um, you know, something that you need to look out for. Um, as far as, you know, I see a lot of older adults as well, and usually don't ask them if they have kids. Um, but we have started in the last um, several, you know, years to really make a point to do that because there are so many kids living with their grandparents now right. um, that there's often kids in the home, um, even when the person with cancer is older. So um, we try to make sure that um, our services are available to them because they have those close bonds with those grandparents. So um, it's more than just a young adult cancer thing, but definitely, um, you know, it's mostly the younger people um, anywhere from, you know, 16 to 50. But um, as far as just not having other resources, um, like grandparents or another spouse, you know, for single parents going through cancer, that is really hard. And that's where you really need to kind of set aside your pride and talk to people, ask for help. So go to your church if you have one. Um, Big thing is to reach out to your kids' schools um, or daycare facility. You know, talk to the teachers, the coaches, counselors. Make sure everybody knows what's going on. Um, Not that you're, you know, spreading your business, but just so that if they can help you, then they will. But they can't help you if they don't know. So if your kid's struggling in class or struggling, you know, on the sports team, um, they can get a little extra help. Or, you know, the teacher might say, you know, how are you doing today? And check in more. So that's very important to reach out to those people in your community um, any time, but especially if you don't have that family support. Jackie, we're talking about the children in, uh, affected by their parents' cancer. Are there services uh, for those children? I know there are lots of camps out there that young children can go to where they meet other kids whose parents are sick, but are there any mm-hmm. direct services for the children themselves? Um, well, I know here in Baton Rouge, uh, Cancer Services has free counseling for adults and children going through cancer, um, as well as grief. Um, I don't know a whole lot about other states. Um, what I would recommend for everybody to do is call or go online to, um, you know, the American Cancer Society or call your local American Cancer Society and see what they can recommend because they usually have all that information for all their local areas. And there are also, um, you know, some websites where, and I know I love one thing about the young adult cancer community is they're tech savvy which is great because they can go online. Um, so kids cope is, uh, kidscope.org is a website that helps, um, with information. They have a virtual comic book, they have videos, um, they have, you know, all kinds of stuff. There's also uh children's treehouse.org, which is another, um, organization that helps link, kids to support services so there are things out there you just have to kind of look for what's in your area um there's not like a national um you know cancer you know kids counseling but um you know depending on your insurance situation um you know because if you have insurance you can usually go somewhere to get counseling but if you don't there are social services for counseling that will counsel kids they just may not specialize in cancer you know, this is blowing my mind right now. I, I feel like I have to say this, and it's it it speaks to the the profound necessity for folks like you. That I, you know, I just visited with a friend this weekend who has a twelve year old, and I've I've watched them struggle bringing her up, and she's perfectly healthy, with both you know trying to mm-hmm. get her to the right schools or take care of her health or 
you know, just deal with her whole, the whole behavioral thing of growing up, but to have to deal with this, like you're talking about all these camps and these organizations, um, that we just would never dream of having to Google for our kids. We're, we're always looking for summer camps for our right. kids, not yeah. for summer camp <laughs> for camp. kids. Yeah. Camp. yeah. But it's <laughs> extraordinary. The work that you're doing, it's so important. It's really important. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's one of those things, like you said, that you would never think about needing until you need it. Um, and you know, like you said, I have a two year old and as hard as that is, and I'm perfectly fine. Um, I can't imagine um, having cancer right now and having a baby. And, you know, I would see in my work like several times um, within, you know, a month period, young women come in and say, I was diagnosed um, right after giving birth and I was breastfeeding and found a lump or um, I was diagnosed while I was pregnant. And it's those cases where, you know, as a social worker, you're, you know, kind of trained not to take things home, but it's like, man, that hits close. You know, right. I have a baby that could have been me. Um, and it just, it happens so often that there's a need out there for services for people who, you know, like you always talk about, you know, they're not kids, they're not old people. And so where do you get help? And hopefully more and more places are starting to see that there's a need. Jackie, it's really yeah, common. you do such great work for your clinic. I can only hope that there are other Jackies at other clinics who have this understanding and appreciation. Uh, I go back to, uh, I have a friend that works at Hopkins. She's 26. She's an oncology nurse, and she works in the teen unit. And the teens that go through Hopkins will only talk to her because she's 26. Uh, so there has mm, to be, yeah. there, I can't imagine, like we, we talked about how you are, in the generation age group, you're in the checkbox of the patients for whom this narrative matters most. There aren't that many out of the spectrum of professionals out there. I'd, lo I'd love to know if there are more younger up-and-coming social workers and nurse navigators that are out there who can be empathetic to this because so often it just isn't in the mind's eye of the caregivers, I mean, of the, the medical professionals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can only hope so. You know, I know tons of uh, social work students graduate every year, um, whether they're from undergrad or graduate school, and they're going into all different kinds of fields. But um, they're the people who need to be looking out for this because it's, um, it's a great opportunity to have while you're young to work with people um, that are in this, you know, age group and stage of life where, you know, whether it's school or work or having kids, um, we can relate so much. It'd be great to see um, hospitals and organizations, maybe even like this one, start recruiting. Because I just had this conversation with a social worker at Memorial Sloan because I'm thinking about getting my master's to do work not unlike the one that the work that you're doing. And she said that the mm -hmm. field is so saturated, but that this particular area is probably the weakest uh, in terms of its support, right. supposedly. Mm -hmm. yeah. so there's a real need for it. Yeah, certainly. Well, Jackie, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the show. You do amazing work, mm -hmm. and you're a testament to everything that we need as a movement to make cancer suck less. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Jackie Woods, a social worker uh, who has experience working with young adult cancer survivors in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, that concludes our broadcast day. Shannon, you had a lot to, to weigh in on. Clearly, um, it all hits us. And yeah. I, I like uh, either you said this or she said this, but when you get cancer, it doesn't matter what kind of cancer it is. The, we, we say in our, our manifesto that the playing field is leveled and that it's not a contest about right. body parts and who's worse and who's off. Because, you know, me, I have kids. I didn't have kids when I was sick, but I can empathize for people that have kids uh, when they were sick. Not just because I have kids of my right. own, but we, we get it how hard it is to be well when you're this age Absolutely. to begin with. I mean, they must ask you about it because it's such a big part of your life. Yes. Right? And like the, the ever other foot or shoe dropping right. syndrome that we all kind of live with. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, 
the running gag in with my wife and I is, is it goes back to like a line in the Sex in the City where Miranda and Steve have the baby. <laughs> Everything goes back to Sex in the City. And do you love how it really does? <laughs> it really, this no, is not it the does. first time he this is a regular this is a regular occurrence. No, no, because Miranda says to Steve, "No, today's your turn to not kill the baby." <laughs> So you think That's about great. like how hard it is yeah. to rear a child, let alone right. I mean twins, but rear children in this world yeah. when you're well. Yeah. What that must mean for them, you know, instant therapy for life for kids whose mom and dads have cancer. Yeah. It's just amazing. So uh I'm glad that she brought this up. But like you're nodding and you know, you're you're part of the club. You get it. Absolutely. Yeah, so. No, absolutely. So uh, what do you think? Your first show? Awesome. This is so much fun. <laughs> I love it. It feels like it's a little off the cuff, but it's a great it's a great opportunity to have cool conversations with very like under what underexposed? I don't know what the right word is. People who are getting the spotlight. Yeah, right now. It's, it's an underserved. And even after ten years of stupid cancer and, and, and many, many partners and tons of narrative, it's still an unmeasurable so improvement yeah. in are we making it suck less? And they're still right. getting cancer and we're reaching a a a fraction of the percentage of people who need to know they're not alone. Right. But I mean, already today, I'm like, how many people know about Parker Puff? And, and is it happening at Memorial Sloan? Are they telling yeah. the patients? Yeah. And then immediately, like, you know, Jackie said, like, are they recruiting students to take on these roles? Right. Well, what I said at, uh, at Toast, our research, 87% of women are not made aware of their fertility risks when cancer comes right. along, that alone is like, that we're was... not doing a good enough job. No. Yeah. No, I, ne- so... I didn't even have that conversation until a couple of years ago. Well, it was tw- nothing happened 20 years no. ago. 20 years ago, you're <laughs> lucky to like, have, it was the head, dark ages you had, of... have your head cut off in the hospital by accident. It's true. It was crazy. <laughs> anyway, We've uh, come a long way, baby, as they say. Yes, yes, we have. So thanks for, for stopping in. Thank you for having me. It's um, a lot of fun. Not the last time. I yeah, hope. I hope not. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. That's our show, the 403rd episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Rachel Park and Jackie Woods, and drop-in guests, Shannon Black. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, on behalf of the whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye, folks. Hello and welcome to episode 403 of the Stupid Cancer Show. We are the voice of young adult cancer. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor. 